you'll have to check the latest terms of service and it's not the best route in the world, but it can be done. But I think caring about it in the first place is the most important thing. And then the tactics mm -hmm. come second. We are Michael Vizi in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon Profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Hey folks, today we are back at the e-commerce leader. We're talking about having discussed whether you should revitalize your old products at all. Some are worth it, some not. And if you didn't catch that in the previous episode today, we are talking about how many ways can you breathe new life into an old product? And we have about 12 actually. So we've got a great list to get through today, some of which may spark something in your mind and makes you realize, ah, oh, I could do that. If so, we've done our job. And I hope that you get at least one or two aha moments today. Hopefully you will. Thanks very much in advance for listening. Let's go over to the show. I entirely agree. I think that's more important. I wouldn't suggest to anyone that if they don't like their customers and don't care about their product, that they start hiring somebody as a solution. I just think that's mm. to your point. Yes, you should get out either preferably by selling part of the business or selling the product. You can, by the way, it's not so commonly done, but I've come across people selling SKUs on Amazon. It's a bit messy, but it can be done. And if you want yeah. to do it, You'll have to check the latest terms of service and it's not the best route in the world, but it can be done. But I think caring about it in the first place is the most important thing. And then the tactics mm -hmm. come second, which is, oh, but I find it hard to get myself to actually do this. Okay, we'll hire somebody because then you'll be paying money and you'll really expect results then. And they all mm -hmm. ask them for results. And because they're being paid for you and they're being judged on the results, they're more likely yeah. to do stuff. They may or may not be any good at what you do. And by the way, I'm not talking about going from being a solopreneur to a full-time product manager hire. That would bankrupt you probably. But part-time, sure. good quality person. It's a one-off project after all the product development thing, isn't it? Okay, eventually it becomes an ongoing thing if you've got a big catalog, and in which case you've probably mm -hmm. got a team anyway. But if you're a solopreneur, then hire them project by project, but hire somebody, but only if you care about them to that point. Yeah, totally. With all of this as preamble, uh, I, we do have a list of ways you can refresh, recreate, renew, whatever you want to call it, re redo your product. And so we've got, I think it's 12 things on the list. And we've talked about some of this before and I'm talking about where this list come from. But the, the idea here is there are ton, tons of ways to renew and redo older products. And so let's, you want to walk through some of these and move on to that part of the conversation here? Yeah, absolutely. How to do it is really good. I think, I don't think we should apologize for thinking about whether you should though. That's really the most important decision <laughs> yeah, because totally. people often leap straight to the tactics. Yeah. I guess you got faster or shorter duration of something painful here. So that's a good starting point. Faster, easier, yeah. cheaper is the old internet business pitch cliche. Tell me mm -hmm. a bit more about your thoughts on that. The thing that, the first question that comes to mind is, is there something that's a hassle, like a hassle factor in your product or is there something that's super enjoyable 
associated product. And the most obvious thing to do with your product is eliminate the hassle factors. So if signing up for your thing is a hassle, make that faster, get that to be one click or, and then that's Amazon's original innovation, right? It was like one click checkout or whatever. And so that hassle bit is really important to think through. And, and so this really goes to fundamental attributes of the product in its current state and how to evaluate them. So that would be the first one. If there's parts of it that are pain, then remove them or make them shorter and make them as elegant as possible in terms of getting customers past that difficult bit in association with the product. And obviously if it's a hassle and you can make it easier, if there's technical things you can do to make it just much simpler to use or easier to use, then those would be things to consider in your upcoming version. I think those are pretty straightforward as a, a couple first ones. A uh, third one on the list that I have here is make it more comfortable associated with the physical attributes. Now this is be for physical product. It's amazing how many times product is just not elegant to use in a tactile way. And it, it could just be more straight, more de designed in a more straightforward way so that it's not uncomfortable to use. And I'm, I'm looking at these, uh, this is, for example, these uh, phone holders. Everybody's got some of these now. These ones have the bendy wraparound thing. I'm using a different one as I record this. It's more like a three sticks and a little gimbal ball that holds the phone. But you think about these products and you think, how could this be more, more comfortable to use and more versatile? to use. I don't use this version. I use a different version in certain contexts. And so these are the things you want to think through the physical attributes of it. And obviously getting customer feedback is important. Seeing what other competitors are doing, if there are trends is important, but also just being creative in terms of understanding how people want to use your product or don't and how you might serve them better. And there's a million ways to iterate when you start thinking about comfort and utility of the item that I think are important to start brainstorming. Yeah, I think that's, uh, those are really good starting points. And I think just on the idea of customer feedback, I just encourage people not to just get feedback on an existing product, but I, I would say there's two very good chapters in a book called, I think it's called Scaling Lean. So it's a rather cut down and simplified version of what I always found a rather complex book, the whole lean thing. I can't remember who gone out of my head who did it but the lean development thing and those two yep. chapters are the problem interview and the solution interview and somebody Murray I'll put the notes in the show notes at 10k sorry e the commerce leader.com sorry getting podcast mm -hmm. confusion so point here is simple but important don't talk to people with a product in hand talk to people without a product in hand to refresh your understanding from the ground up of the problem you're trying to solve mm -hmm. and the person you're mm -hmm. trying to solve then yep. come back with a problem product or a new improved product scaling yep. that's exactly the book thank you so much for rescuing me from my stuff here Eric, Eric Reese is the lean startup, which was the exactly. original. And then this exactly. Which is complicated. Yeah. So Ashmore, I would say it's chapter seven and eight. I think it says a problem interview solution interview. I found those to be very doable, practical things to apply straight away. So, you know, starts from first principles. Don't assume that your products go in the right direction anymore. That's the yeah. first thing. And I would say from that, the second thing is don't just copy the competition because especially on Amazon, mm -hmm. it's just a disease. Somebody comes yeah. up with something genuinely innovative and then everyone copies it. First of all, that's a real risk. You can get your products taken out for patent infringement. I've been on the receiving end of that and rightly because I was private labeling something from a factory in China that it turns out didn't do their homework on that, left it to me to it do sounds, my homework and I didn't. Sounds interesting. It was Horrible. fun. Yeah. I only had like about $2,000 worth of the product that it was, it could have been worse, but I gave it away and it works. Okay. Give it to charity, but yes, but in the less strictly IP infringing way, if everything looks the same, then you're not differentiated. So starting mm -hmm. from first principles and mm -hmm. creating something 
that whilst you may acknowledge your competitors in your design is genuinely different is really critical if you're going to bother doing this in the first place. Otherwise, just why not just do the old private label thing? So sure. I think that's really important. Yeah, totally. Okay, another one on the list here, number four, is make it prettier, shinier, happier, newer. Make it chrome if it's plastic. The uh, this thing that comes to my mind in this regard is really websites. Websites go through cycles of, of visual aesthetic and that are on trend or not. And this is really about the visual aesthetic of the product, not the functional attributes. But there are a lot of times when products just look dated, like websites just look dated, but the guts of it are great. Well, the actual, the, the thing itself still does what it's supposed to do. And so I think there's a lot of scenarios in which digital marketers or e-commerce operators have an opportunity at the physical item level, but also just in terms of their brand, social media efforts, their website, all of those kinds of things can be made to look prettier, more on trend. And you'd be surprised just taking something that looks dated and making it refreshed and new, it catches new customers because there's a customer that will be drawn to the visually effective, the aesthetic of the item. There are other customers who are drawn to the utilitarian nature of an item or the reason it exists and don't care so much about aesthetic, but that's something to really think about. If you've got a product that has worked and worked well for you, but you never obsessed over the visual look and feel of it, then that would be a new way in which to iterate and to really draw in new people. And again, websites are an easy thing to, to think about. In fact, I did a training last week for our community. I will teach you to buy a Shopify site. And I just, one of the things in the training is that there are a lot of websites that are built in the late nineties. And that are still on the internet and many have awesome key phrase rankings, but they just are hideously visually to look at because they're so old and buying a site like that and re-ramping it, refreshing it is a clear way to iterate. And that true, the same thing applies for products, for the physical products. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, first of all, to that point, I think the mentality of coming in as if you're an outside person, it's again, it's hard to do. So you might want to just hire somebody who is an outside person, just have a frank look at your products and or your listing or your branding. And they would have different skill sets. Somebody who's got a web design eye, somebody who's got a physical product design eye, somebody who produces physical products. So yeah, looking at it fresh, literally, um, is really great because then you'll, again, you won't just do the same old automatically. A couple of yeah, tiny tweaks or iterations of what you were saying, don't forget to update packaging. That's like the equivalent for physical products. And you can, I would say on Amazon, it's exceptionally important. You can use the physical product both for the unboxing experience, which is when you get a look good product to market fit, people rip open the Amazon packaging and they love what it looks like. That leads to good reviews and happy customers and maybe a repeat customer if you're lucky. And also it helps the message to market match, that is to say on the listing, because you take a picture of beautiful packaging and you use that to get a splash of color or to have more control than you would have otherwise for the main image. You can leg legitimately show the product and the packaging. And if the packaging is basically a color by colorful background that you can use to tweak the main image, that can be really powerful. So packaging is particularly is essential, I would say, for an Amazon-focused product, but for any product. Yeah, um, totally. The final thought on that is simple, which is you said the guts, the guts are often good, but you need to like maybe get a chrome out outer skin or when it was boring plastic before. Sometimes it could be the reverse. If you're in a market that values mm -hmm. functionality, you upgrade yep. the inner guts, mm -hmm. but keep the outer shell the same. So that's another tweak. Mm -hmm. that could help. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It is interesting what you can do. Sometimes a minimalist approach actually 
serves you better than making it super flamboyant. Yeah. The next thing on the list here is make it more engaging or interactive if it's fun by nature. And the simplest way to do this, it's just so available to us as e-commerce operators, is to create a community around your product. If you have a product where people just enjoy using it, it's maybe it's a recreational thing, or maybe it's a sporting goods or something like that. The clear opportunity is to use social media, hashtags, for example, to create a community and or have a Facebook group. And those kinds of community building components on top of the core function of the product is one of the ways to really extend and leverage the lifespan of the use of the product and anything that you can do along those lines in terms of creative marketing to build community is, I think, a huge opportunity. You can do that, of course, without updating the core attribute of the uh, the product itself. But to your point earlier, that's probably the kind of thing that you would want to weave into your packaging or your unboxing, informational sheets or that kind of thing. And, uh, and doing that all at the same time where you've got a new version and it's got community components really is the makings of a great launch. Obviously, if you have people in community, you've got an opportunity to sell them other things. And so building community on the back of a successful product is just a, an obvious thing to yeah. lean into. You know? I love this. There's so much. My brain's adding multiple things together or multiplying mm. them by each other. There's so much power in this. I had a client who built a Facebook group with the Express aim of increasing the review rate on Amazon, which was about average for a lot of his products. When they started, it was about 1% and they got it up to 3 4%, which is just a monster increase. And that's such a massive competitive advantage to the point you were making earlier. If you're installed in the rankings and you've got a huge number of, as long as they're average positive reviews, then it's super hard to compete with you. And that creates such a moat as far as you can have on Amazon at all. They were Amazon focused with their products. And it, it took a lot of work. So this is not a casual thing. There was one mm -hmm. person who was working maybe a couple of days a week equivalent on this, but it really worked. And what I love about this is it's not just a way to get rankings or reviews, although it is, but you can create more of a buzz around the brand as a whole, which is harder to measure the value of, but it starts to build a more defensibility around the business as a sort of wrapper, if you like, but also yeah. you can do that in advance of new products. And here's the other thing that's like a leverage thing. So the point we were saying earlier, you've got a product installed on Amazon with 20,000 reviews and it's ranked number one. It's probably not going anywhere, but if you can sell it to a community as it's new, because it's a new version, but to Amazon, it's the same product. So it keeps all the reviews and rankings and you get the best of both worlds. And I've seen that work incredibly well. So it's yeah. a lot of work to build, but it's super powerful. And most people don't do it because it's a, it's work and they don't do it. But the long-term benefits, if you are launching a lot of products one after another, it's just really great for the right kind of product. So they. It's definitely a thing. I love what you said too, which is it creates more enterprise value. Thank Think you, about yeah. selling your business. If you sell your business, you say, my signature product has a community of 10,000 people who like it and talk about it and obsess over it together in wherever, Facebook or whatever. The enterprise value for that business is just obviously stronger than a product business that doesn't have any type of similar thing. So I think that's a thing to really think through that anybody could do for their existing business line, line of business and products, regardless of whether you're going to revamp them or not. That's a whole track you could run on any time. The next thing on our list is if it is a opportunity to extend the duration or to make the product work longer or last longer, I think of the Energizer rabbit for the batteries, it's 2X longer that you have that's a product that you can make it more durable or extend the use of it and market it that way. And a lot of that goes in the components of the product itself. You know, what kind of uh, raw material do you use for the parts itself? 
And if those parts and pieces are going to break after a certain defined by engineers duration of use, can you upgrade for a half a penny of some item that is bound to fail and then say your product lasts two times longer? And those simple utilitarian changes can really be powerful marketing functions. So so sometimes just for a fractional cost change, you can have a massive marketing advantage. And, you know, that's the kind of thing to think through as you're thinking about the actual technical components of the product. And there's a lot of marketing that's been done on the back of two times more effective, last two times longer, or whatever. Those kinds of sentiments and phrases are pretty straightforward to think about, but they've got to be engineered into the product. Any thoughts on that, Michael, from your point of view? Yeah, I really like it. If if you can find that, it's the, I suppose it's the, it's called profitable variation by Richard Koch. I think it's that thing where you find a small tweak to the product that doesn't cost you very much, but it produces a great deal more value for the consumer. So they'll pay a lot more, but the cost is not much more and therefore it's much more profitable. And that's like the absolute, that's Nirvana really. If you can find things like that, it's Mm -hmm. amazing because you should get more sales because people like it more. And your mm-hmm. costs hardly gone up. So your profits should be really up as well. So d- that's mm-hmm. definitely always worth looking for. Not always easy to find, but the other thing I really love about it is an extremely concrete promise. Obviously, you've got to be able to deliver on it. And the other thing is that you've got to be able to try and find something that's not easy to copy. I didn't say mm-hmm. won't be copied. It's the need for constant innovation. I think the truth is you need to come up with something you've just said, that kind of thing. And you probably need to do it every six months if you can, which is a hard demand. If you can, then that's why iPhones are still selling by the bucket load, even though everyone's mm-hmm. created a smartphone, which is a copy of an iPhone, let's be honest. Yeah. So yeah, really great skill to get down. Again, a yeah. reason to hire a great product developer, because it's not easy mm-hmm. to get that done. You need somebody who knows both sides of the coin, the physical manufacturing side, and also has a little bit of an understanding of the market. So that's when it, I would say that's worth hiring somebody to the point I made earlier. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so the next thing on our list is improve the perceived value. Now, this is where the marketer hat is on, and maybe it's not a technical location that changes in the product, but the perception of value can be changed. And so how how can you change the perceived value of your item? And this is probably worthy of a whole specific podcast just all on its own, but there are ways in which you can engineer uh, product in terms of the perceived value. One of the things I always remember about Russell Brunson's original ClickFunnels work was he said that one of the best offers that he would make would just be to ask the customer during the checkout process if they wanted a second bottle. Do you want uh, the second item? Do you want a, a second one of these? The implication there is that the product wasn't sufficient in what it was, the offer wasn't sufficient uh, in and of itself, which you think about what is the customer saying there? They're saying what you were giving them wasn't really enough. And to Jim Senegal's approach at Costco, can you just increase the quantity count? Instead of getting five items, you get 55 items, but the product's a lot more expensive, but you satiate the customer demand for more of what they want, literally just by changing the the amount that you include in the package or that kind of thing. The perceived value is a little bit different because that's real value, but then there's perceived value. And so playing with these ideas of what is something's perceived value versus real value is something to think about. One of the ways to increase perceived value is to have a new use case or a new benefit that you didn't previously market. And you can get that with some products because you literally are just asking customers for their feedback all the time. What? Why do you use this? Why do you like it? How do you use it? You create something and you think it's being used in a certain way, like the way you intended. 
But a lot of times people aren't using things in the way they were created or intended. A lot of times you'll hear there's a different use case that you hadn't thought of. As soon as you articulate that second use case, you have a higher perceived value for the for the item. So uh, something to think about and really play with is how do you get after that as a marketer? Yeah, there's lots of great things here. So first thing is, well, let's start with the use case thing. I think actually it's really powerful because it's not necessarily if you have a use case that's new and it doesn't happen to resonate with the customer sitting in front of you, as it were, you won't necessarily get a high price point or conversion from that customer. But what you've done is you've opened your product up or you've woken up your audience for that product to a new market segment of people. They're solving probably different problems as well. And that can actually spin off to basically a set of products that are geared to specific markets, but are very similar. And that happens mm -hmm. in the book world all the time, doesn't it? In the American sort of business book world, there's that sort of who moved, what, what's it called? Who, oh, who moved my cheese? Sort of, who moved my cheese and who moved my cheese for entrepreneurs, who moved my cheese for moms and who moved my cheese for Christian moms. And who, you mm -hmm. know, it's like a, a standardized way of doing it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We don't do that enough in the product world for some reason. Um, mm -hmm. And we can, and I've not seen it done that often successfully because people lock in on the market. And I think that's an mm -hmm. opportunity actually that's relatively simple. If you tweak one thing about it, maybe change the color, maybe tweak one aspect of the product physically and put it in different packaging, it's probably ready to go. For example, I used to sell music stand lights for musicians and it turned out a lot of people were putting on their reviews or use this for reading in bed so I don't disturb my wife. It's not really, a, unfortunately, <laughs> ran into some problems with it. It meant I had to stop selling that product before I could go there. But the next move I was going to make was exactly to just create a reading light that would mm -hmm. build as a reading light, possibly even having couples inside in the images. Mm -hmm. But another, yeah. Yeah. sorry. Go keep going. Yeah. Let's say just two other quick ones. Bundling um, is sometimes just a perceived value difference. So if you put mm -hmm. a load of cardboard and you put chocolates in it and you call it an advent calendar, you can charge a great deal more money than for <laughs> either the cardboard or for the chocolates. And that's a very simple, but very doable sort of version of all sorts of things. Once you turn things into sort of gift, you can add value because it's mm -hmm. the construct as a whole that you're selling, not bits. And there's all sorts of things you can do with bundling that people, again, it's relatively straightforward. Even if you have a bit of a sort of retail arbitrage model and you're making forays into creating your own kind of products, bundling mm -hmm. things in a maybe propriety packaging, but not anything sophisticated, so much value yeah. in there. It's always yeah. worth thinking about that. And you've mentioned before, if you've got slow moving products, you can bundle them with fast moving products and yeah. there's just tons of value in bundling. Yeah. Um, the last quick win and with purely marketer head on is this was industry standard, but nobody mentions in their marketing. And I have to reference Mad Men here where they had some tobacco person in and they were saying, we can't mention X, Y, and Z because they just changed the legislation in the mid sixties. But they said, okay, so tell me how's a tobacco made? And the guy said, it's toasted. He said, great. That's what we say. X it's toasted. And because they were mentioning it and nobody else was, then it seems like a different thing. It's not yeah. got a lot of defensibility, but you might as well get yeah. this strange it's reference. Toasted. <laughs> it's toasted. There you go. Yeah. So the, the Mad Men reference got one in there. Yeah, totally. Okay. So this is great. So we already talked about this next one on the list, which is eliminate annoyances. And I think yeah. that goes back to this whole, the po polarity of, is it a desirable product to use? It's uh, enjoyable. And if so, enhance and extend the, those ideas. And is it a annoyance of product that's a hassle, but you have to use it to get something accomplished? If so, make that as efficient as possible and eliminate the obvious annoyances. So, so there's that. The next one on the list though is make it easier to get, easier to keep or easier to use. I guess those could be three separated out, but getting, keeping and using a product is really an interesting idea. There's a lot of products that you can make and you can build in things like, oh, it's a toothbrush with a holder 
forth. Those kinds of ideas you build into the product, the way in which you keep it or have it be used. And the, there's a lot of examples. I think like in the my toolbox, there's a lot of things where it's, oh, I want a, a drill bit. Do you really want a drill bit or do you want a drill bit plus 19 other drill bits and a holder for all the drill bits? Do you really want 20 D batteries or do you want a box that holds 20 D batteries too with the D batteries? Those types of product integration pieces are really something I think that are easy to think about. The easier to get bit, I guess Amazon has done for many people with their rapid delivery and their kind of obsession with how fast people get the product. I think it's for this reason, because they're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to get what they want and obviously trying to compete with local retail many times in that regard. And so I, I think those elements are important to think through. Just this, the pivot from Amazon FBA to Amazon Merchant Fulfilled is a big deciding factor for many people who are in that journey of how fast can I get this? And so thinking through that logic, is there any way in which you can speed this up so customers get it faster? Obviously, making it virtual or digital is a step on that journey. If it could be delivered in, in virtual, then why wouldn't you do that? Zoom meetings come to my mind. The world in the last three years went through the evolution of feeling like in-person meetings were required, but actually, Meetings could be set, sped up radically and done much simpler if we just all use Zoom. And we all learned that together. I, we had used Zoom for years, Michael, together before this was popularized because of COVID. But what you realize is the whole world realized you can get stuff done faster and easier if it's digitalized or digitized. And I think the question is put in front of all of us as product marketers. Can we digitize something that's a old school physical delivery and therefore get the customer satisfied faster and simpler in the process. Like that. And I guess I just, so devil's advocate in me is willing to say, if you happen to be a market that's very digital and nobody's offering something physical, go the opposite mm -hmm. way just mm -hmm. to be different, not to be different if there's no market for it, but you can at least experiment because it's a differentiation yeah. point. It's not a physical product example, but I run a mastermind where we have a physical meeting, which is a pain to do. And it means people have to fly mm -hmm. or take the train. I have to book a hotel, but it's a, a differentiation point and actually it, it creates more sort mm -hmm. of connection. And the same is true if you send somebody a book and they can get it through the post, they have that unboxing moment, they can yeah. mark it, they can drop it and then they spill coffee on it and <laughs> you know, generally interact with it. Then if everyone else is sending Kindle books, I'd be tempted to say, then go and go create a physical products version as well. Yeah. Um, which isn't quite the same as easy to get. That's a differentiation point. I'm just flipping it on its head. And I yeah. guess that's the kind of thing you've got to do, right? Just approach it from 20 different directions to poke it around and see what sparks. So yes, I like that a lot. That's good. Yeah. Two thoughts in that regard. One of the things that's become very popular right now on Shopify for Shopify sellers is an app called Postpilot and it's direct mail postcards and it's baked into the back end of your Shopify store. And a lot of people are using it with good success because the pendulum swung too far and people aren't using direct mail anymore. And somebody figured out how to bolt on direct mail into your Shopify store with an app. And it's all the rage right now because the pendulum had just swung too far and no one was doing things in the mail. And so it made it an opportunity for e-commerce sellers. Yeah. I've seen clients with some response rates of up to about 10% with asking for reviews via postcards. It does depend which niche you're in, but it, yeah, it's incredibly mm -hmm. effective actually. And that 
Okay, yeah. it goes too fast, and nobody's talked about it for like I don't know for four years since I've last seen it. So yeah, that's really good. Yeah, totally. Which yeah. is a, this is a slightly different point to make it easier to use. I guess we're back to differentiation, aren't we? Really? It's always an yeah. obsession you're going to have. Yeah, yeah, you got a couple more for us, so let's knock these off, and I've got something to try and tie this together at the end, hopefully as well. Yeah, the next one is to try to make it cool again, or to make it cool again. And you could do that in a lot of different ways. One of the ways you do that is changing the trend line in an industry and your product launch can do that. Use influencers. If you have an influencer in your space and the, your, your new product launch has some unique attributes that are making it interesting, what's old is new again, frequently. And uh, this happens a lot in fashion. The current, as we record this current popular jeans for young ladies that I keep seeing them where I remember seeing in the eighties or nineties, they were called mom jeans. I think they still call them mom jeans and there is a specific style, but it was popular 20 years ago. And this is a fashion standard playbook, which is make the old thing trendy or new again, don't change the product at all. Just re let it reemerge as a, a new trend. And I think that's an easy and obvious one. A couple others, and then we can wrap up is uh, make it cheaper. If the cost structure has changed inside of uh, manufacturing. There's a way in which you can make your item cheaper for goodness sakes right now when inflation is just going crazy all around the world. I would think that making your product cheaper is would be a huge win. You might have to do that just to keep your margins and your prices stable. But if you can do it to the consumer advantage and make the product substantially less costly to them, and obviously that's a great way to iterate. Final one would be to make it digital. And of course, that's the ultimate cost reduction strategy. Take it from physical atoms to digital bits and allow for the cost structure to fall because of that reality. So that's the list. That's 12 items. Any thoughts on those final couple? Yeah. Making it cheaper just needs to be, you just need to be so it sounds so obvious, but I've just seen it so many times. Don't just reduce the price you sell it for. <laughs> I see that so much from people that I would have expected to know better. I just panic sets in. So Start with the cost structure. If you can't bring your costs down, then you're going to have to sell out of that product and move on because running things at ever decreasing profits. Yes, squeeze profit margins now. Okay. So it wasn't 20%, 30% margin. Maybe it's 10% less. But it's got to have a degree of stability to it. So that's all I would say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounds the obvious thing to say. The other thing, I, I, again, I'm not saying anything we haven't said before, and you're the master at teaching this, but product sellers, I'm always trying to bang the drum for what you do, which is adding digital products. People mm. just don't seem to do it. And I think that's such a missed opportunity. And again, to the point of the ultimate in low cost, to the point I was just making about price, it's just something to really take seriously now. If you can mm -hmm. add an ebook to your mix or anything in the community that you get paid for, so therefore it's a product, not just a marketing thing. Anything at all that's digital, I think it's just now is a great time to look at it, really. Yeah, um, totally agree. I've got one final point, which is really to try and pull these together, which I think is something I know you, which is Alex Hormoz's $100 million mm -hmm. offers book. And he's got this thing called the value equation. I'm going to show it in the yeah. video here. If you're not, if you can't see it because you're listening to the podcast version, basically it's a sort of seesaw. So you've got on the top of it, you've got the dream outcome multiplied by the perceived likelihood of achievement on the top divided by the time delay times the effort and sacrifice. Now you talked about making it easier, that kind of thing. So for example, if you could say you could get a product that promises to get rid of a headache you've had for 20 years and people really believe that it's going to happen, it's instant because it's a pill and then the effort and sacrifice is very low because you just go click and it costs you $20 and Amazon delivers it. That's why things like headache pills make people 
billions of dollars because mm-hmm. the dream outcome is very high. The perceived likelihood of achievement is very high because people trust that it works. So they've had that experience or they believe an influencer, authority figure in your marketing or whatever reason that is. And then the time divided by the time delay and the effort and sacrifice. So that equation is really worth running everything past and seeing how mm-hmm. much you can push the, the desirable things and reduce the friction. And yeah. that's, it's not easy to do, but that's, I think that the thing that pulls together the concepts you just covered today. Yeah. This is fun times. I'll tell you one final reason to relaunch a tried and true product. And I think this is probably if I could make one argument for why you should consider redoing and reviving your hits of the past. It's for this reason. When you redo or revive prior success, it gives you the opportunity to step into current marketing practices. This is really important to think through. If you marketed a product 10 years ago with the tools that were appropriate and the systems and online selling strategies that were appropriate at the time, you missed out on a ton of awesome ways to market your product because in the last 10 years, things evolve and the competitive space of online marketing is very different. To relaunch your product in today's marketplace is to learn new techniques and strategies, tools for successful marketing. And by doing that, you'll bring yourself into the current era of digital marketing. You know, that story we started with, where the person went from that stable business for 30 years, certain level, and then, you know, really enhance it. Part of that journey was learning new marketing strategies and techniques. And we too can do that. And we can do it with tried and true winning products. And I think that's probably the biggest aha for many of us or for myself included to think about as we think about what use case or rationale for relaunching and redoing tried and true winning product. I like it. I think it's a very uplifting topic because I think it's about finding the gold buried in your own back garden, you've neglected. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's always an important exercise to go through. Even if you don't find something, it's going to force you to think things through in a refreshed way. And I think that's just never bad to revisit who are we trying to sell to? Are we really serving them well? Do our products really work? Even if what you conclude from all of that is actually, no, we shouldn't revive any of our old products. You've made a decision mm-hmm. and you're going to move on. Yeah. So that's really important. But to your point, often there is gold in them, there are hills or buried in the garden or whichever metaphor I'm wrapping myself up in now. So mm-hmm. before I wrap myself up in, in mixed metaphors, we better wrap up there. Jason, thank you for an excellent topic. It's not often discussed because it's not a sexy, new, shiny objects, but to the point you're making it, it's, yeah, it can be super powerful. And I've certainly seen people have a lot of success with that. And it's a great topic. So I just say to anyone listening, don't forget to subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google, wherever else you are. Come and join the family. We got increasingly large numbers of subscribers on Spotify. The trends are going satisfying upwards line. Mm-hmm. Come and join us. And thanks so much for listening. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.